0: By now, Kevin But uh, apparently, Tom Brady is retired from the NFL. Do you know that? Who? You've, you, you've probably also heard at some point that the Montreal Expos drafted Tom Brady as a high school catcher out of San Mateo, California, in the 18th round of the 1995 draft. And, uh, well, it was, according to the man who was Expos GM at the time, Kevin Malone, a flyer. That was the word Kevin used. Uh, the Expos, of course, knowing full well that Brady, even though he was only 17 then, had committed to Michigan to play football. But they still brought him in for a workout when the team was at Candlestick Park, apparently offered him someplace between $200,000 and 400000 to sign. Uh, there's th- th- this, this, this whole Tom Brady connection with the Montreal Expos, as Tom Brady went on winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl, kind of developed uh, a, a, a mythical status. Um, So we want to get to the bottom of it. Get to the bottom of the Montreal Expos and Tom Brady. And Kevin Malone, who was the Expos GM uh, during spring training in 1995, which was the last time baseball lurched through a labor crisis, by the way, was also the GM when uh, the Montreal Expos made Tom Brady an 18th round pick in the 1995 draft. He will join us later on in the show to uh, talk about the Expos, and Tom Brady will get a sense of whether or not the Expos were ever close to signing Tom Brady. And regardless of that, Kevin, I think we're in pretty safe ground here saying that he probably made the right choice, Tom Brady. Think he made the right choice?
1: Yeah, you think so? What I want to know something is how he got offered more money in the 18th round than I got offered
0: in the third round. Well, (laughs) okay. Well, there you go. I this hits on something with the baseball draft, right? How about and, that? And, and of course, it if you are if you are going to college, not just to play football, but to, to play baseball, you do tend to get taken in the later rounds of the draft because teams think there's less of a chance of signing you. They would rather use their early round picks on somebody they can sign. But who knows? But that, that's why you quite often see you quite often see players go in. I don't know about the 18th round all the time, Kevin. But you see guys go in, in in the seventh, eighth, or ninth round of the draft, and and they'll get offered a lot of money because it takes a lot of money to keep them out of college.
1: Yeah, well, it's one of those things where you you might have thought that the the scouts for the expos might have hit a hit a home run there when it comes to thinking about you know you you mentioned it between two hundred and four hundred grand. That's a lot of money to give a guy that you know you may think is. In that top five round kind of guy, that that in that year, that now you're trying to talk him out of going. Hey, you know, we still got 400 grand here. Maybe you stay here and not go to Michigan. But I'm with you, sort of. You know, he's probably not the goat if he sticks with baseball. Would be my guess.
0: That's a good. That's a good way to put it. Greatest quarterback of all time.
1: Not Not a question. Have you watched the quarterbacks the last two weeks? Yeah. It's not even close. To, to say that, that in the ten Super Bowls that Tom Brady was in, how he looks, the things that he didn't do when it mattered the most, separates him from everybody else. He's, he's, yeah. he, he slows his heartbeat down better than any human that, that I've ever seen. You, you're the top guys in basketball, obviously those guys, and some of the guys in baseball and, and some guys in hockey that, you know, I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to. You could answer more to the hockey kind of thing. But just as a sports and doing it at the highest level and and just by watching the younger guys the way they've been doing it the last couple of weeks and then watching him do it, I mean, for me, it's, it's not even close.
0: Yeah, listen, I, I, I know this. First of all, I don't think it's a question as to whether or not he's the greatest quarterback of all time. But I'll go farther than that because I know it's always a big thing to sort of try to put athletes in a broader context. And I and I think it's hard to compare sports because some sports are more individual than another. But, but I look at athletes I have watched in my lifetime, and I ask myself, who are the greatest winners that I've seen? Well... Roger Federer, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, Usain Bolt—guys I mean, who did what they, guys who were who were at their peak when they needed to be at their peak—and I throw Brady in there in that group. I throw Brady in, there. and I—I I may have missed other—I I may have missed other athletes as well. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to pull a pull a baseball player out, out of my head at this time. Uh, but it's a little it, it, yeah it's a little more of a different sport but i put brady up there with those guys in most, terms most of, the, of winners brady's up there
1: most of the guys you just mentioned are the guys that can bring lesser players up to their par better than ever any other human and that's what tom brady did
0: yeah it'll be fun to talk to kevin malone later on in the show and again we will uh, take a deeper dive into tom brady and g- really get a sense of how close he actually got to to ever signing with the Montreal Expos. But first, uh, players and owners seem to have made precious little headway in negotiating a new CBA, at least as we do the show. Although, again, as I always remind people, as someone has been through a lot of these, we need to keep in mind that nobody's losing money yet. So at this point, there's really no impetus for an agreement. We'd all like to see it done. I, I don't think there's any any doubt about that. But this thing is moving at a pace that is not designed to keep Jeff Blair or Kevin <laughs> Barker or, or any baseball fan happy. And frankly, I, I've got to say this. I'm not certain either side is sweating the start of spring training because, Kevin, every year, every year somebody at, at some point in spring training, somebody looks at me and says, this thing goes on too damn long. Like, it, spring training is too long in here. Why are we here? We, we don't need maybe three weeks, maybe a month. Well, Ross Stripling is the Toronto Blue Jays player representative, and uh, we're very pleased that he's taken time out to join Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker. Hey, Ross, thanks for this. We we trust you and your family are doing well and that
2: you're staying safe. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're doing well. It's like 70 degrees and sunny here in Houston, so I think you guys are probably having a little different weather.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't, we won't. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> that was that was was nice i'll 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 think of you as 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 i'm outside tonight before i go to bed shoveling but anyhow um i and i am used to shoveling anyhow hey hey ross what can you tell us so far about the cba talks and and I, i guess has anything surprised you or made you more or less optimistic that we'll start spring training on time
2: man how much time do you guys have you know we could go over this uh we could spend the whole evening on this topic you know um, this is the first one that I've gone through um, you know, with, with a few seasons under my belt. The last one, I was a rookie. I learned a lot from Justin Turner in Los Angeles, who was the rep at that time. And now as the Blue Jays rep, you know, it's my job to relay it down to our players and make sure that they're getting all the information that they need and that kind of stuff. So it, it, that part of it has been fun and, and eye-opening in a lot of ways, for sure. But, you know, I don't necessarily know how optimistic or pessimistic I should have been going into this. We knew that the owners would use time against us, and then this this would nestle up to spring training as it is now, um, you know, and they would try and get us to waiver. But we're going strong, and we're, you know, fighting for what we think our game needs. And, and I know that it's not fun as a, from a fan's perspective or maybe y'all's perspective, but, uh, you know, we knew this would be a battle in the trenches between both sides, and that's how it's playing out
1: what's the most common question you get from players and how do you communicate is it by zoom is it facetime is it a phone call is it a text is it all the above
2: it's, it's definitely all the above um you know all of the actual bargaining sessions there are some that are happening in person um you know but then we as reps of all teams get on and watch via zoom and then a you know basically within a few minutes of that hanging up i'll type up a summary and send that in the whatsapp chat that i have that's you know 40 man deep of of all the guys and just give them an update on what the call was that day and sometimes i might get zero responses sometimes it might get 100 responses just depending on um you know kind of what happened on that given call and on that day and um, you know, it's, it's a full-time job, especially now that it's, you know, it's heating up. I heard what you said right before you brought me on as far as some team, uh, sorry, as far as us making some headway. We're at least communicating but from December 1st until basically last week. You know, we went over six weeks without either side even talking to each other. And now we've probably had eight calls in the last 14 days. So we're making progress. At least the sides are sitting down and talking to each other. Uh, that is encouraging for sure so i've had a lot to report back to the team um you know we just have not necessarily made a lot of headway
1: when when you're watching is it heated do, do you notice it are you sitting up on the edge of your seat uh do you have a sort of a game plan that you're going through in your mind when you're watching that thing and you're going oh that's exactly what we talked about You're you're delivering exactly <laughs> what we want you to deliver is that how it goes
2: So, the first ones were not like that. And, you know, probably without divulging too much information, the last one was like that. And it was great. You know, from our side, we had players speak up and speak their minds and show that, you know, we're unified and we're on the same page and we're prepared. You know, I think a lot of people assume that our lawyers and our uh, PA speaks for us. And they do in some regards. But it's important for the players to speak up in those calls and make sure that our owners know how we feel and know that you know we are prepared and we know what we're talking about we know what we want and we had some of our veteran players really speak up and and um, you know communicate that which was big and that's you know that's where like the group chats really get fired up and the people are like yes like this is what we need is what we've been waiting for so you know it's a shame that it didn't happen basically until february 1st but it's it's getting going
0: hey, how are you ross personally dealing uh with the lockout i, mean, I it, Understanding, as you said, you know, you, you this is the first one you've been the player rep. But, I mean, it, how far behind from where you'd be in a normal spring? Have you been able to work out with other major leaguers?
2: Yeah, n- not behind at all, man. I, I And I believe 95% of us are preparing as if we're on time. That's the way you have to do it. I mean, we went through that 2020 season, that, you know, 60-game season with an abbreviated spring. And if you showed up to that thing not ready to go, that was a kick in the teeth. Right. So I got to think that every big leaguer out there is preparing based on that and knows like what they got to do to get their body ready. And I'm here in Houston. Like I said, the weather's beautiful. I'm, I got an awesome group about eight to 10 of us um, that work out five days a week. I just threw my fifth bullpen this week. I got my sixth one on Friday and, you know, trying to face hitters next week, which would be basically on time for spring training. So I'm, I'm preparing as if we're on time and then I'll kind of throttle it back and forth once we actually get a timetable. But, um, You know, I think a lot of us are expecting it to really be a quick start once this thing gets going, uh, talking maybe three, four weeks to get starting pitchers going. So if I can show up built up to two, three innings, then I'm ahead of the eight ball, right, instead of kind of feeling like I'm behind trying to play catch up.
1: Uh, We talked to Randall Gritchick last last week, and he admitted that he may have tinkered too much last season. You didn't tinker. You overhauled. I've always wanted to ask you this (laughs) question since last year. uh, Was it worth it overhauling your entire game?
2: Yeah, I think it was you know the statistics show that uh for sure so that's one reason to to you know say that it was worth it for sure I think the other was a confidence thing um you know I I was just kind of battling and and when you go out on the mound and you feel like you're already fighting to have success fighting to have a good outing um you know before you even throw pitch one uh, I mean those are the greatest hitters in the world man that you're already way way behind and gonna get out competed no doubt so once I was able to overhaul those mechanics and feel like my stuff was in a good spot, my rhythm was in a good spot and have one or two good outings under my belt after making those changes, man, like the confidence factor for me just changed substantially. Right. I I felt like the, the, you know, the strength was back on my side and and that I controlled the tempo of the game and the pace of the game and everything about it that I'd feel like I would lost. And, um, you know, so that, that made it worth it, no doubt. And that's, that's Pete Walker, man. I mean, he's just he's unbelievable. I've had some amazing pitching coaches in my career, and Pete's up there with any of them. Uh, just, you know, changed my hands, man. Changed my hands, and it was like I changed everything. Crazy. All
0: right, so you did this in the bullpen, and now you have to take it into the game. Uh, I, yeah, this is, It's not something you, you worked on in spring training. You were working on it while you needed results, while your team needed results. What was that first... That first game, that first pitch, that first at bat, that first inning—like Ross, when you got out there and you're doing, you're doing this, and you know you're doing it against guys who are trying to hit you and hit home runs off you and kick your ass in the game. What's that
2: like? Yeah, it's stressful, man, and that doesn't happen very often. You know, not to toot my own horn, but you know, you really rarely do. Does a hitter or a pitcher make a massive mechanical change on a? day two bullpen and bring it in on a, you know, on his next pitch day, you know, normally it takes a couple bullpens or an entire spring training to make changes like that. But that's just where I was, man. I just got, I didn't even get out of the first inning against the Red Sox. Um, You know, obviously needed to make a change. We had found some issues with tipping pitches with the mechanics that I was rocking and um, you know, we just needed to switch it up, man. And I think that is the biggest thing that made it to where I have to dive all the way in, right? I have to buy in on this bullpen, do it, and it has to be implemented this next outing. And I think it, you know, kind of, it was like my back was against the wall. Like, I had to do it. So I I was nervous in that, yes, it's a huge change, will it work kind of stuff, but it was also like, I have to do this. Like, something has to switch, something has to change. So I think that, um, you know, it's kind of actually what led me to be able to do it so quickly in in, in that kind of turnaround.
1: How how much will the experience in the American League East doing this last year help you going into this year?
2: I think it's going to be huge. I really do. Um, You know, coming out of the National League where I get to face the pitcher, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden now I'm facing Giancarlo Stanton, Austin Meadows, J.D. Martinez, and Trey Mancini. You know, it's uh, it's way different. And it's one of those things you don't understand until you grind through it. So you can only learn from it. I mean, those lineups are unbelievable. I mean, if you look at, if you look at how I did against the Red Sox, I mean, it, it take away those outings, my ERA probably drops a point. I mean, they, they own me all year. I'm not ashamed to admit it. So what do I do? You know, go watch those outings and, and get better and show up ready to attack those guys and, and figure them out and play the chess match, you know, that's Major League Baseball and that's pitching. So, um, you know, you're only going to get better from that experience. Get your teeth kicked in a couple times in the AL East. That's just part of it, playing in those parks against the talent that's in that division. But, um, you know, now that I got that year under my belt, Really, the team in general thinking about Bo and Vladdy and Cavan, like those guys that just went through 162 through the ALEs for the first time. Theoretically, we should all take big steps forward, which is going to be fun to watch because we uh, were one game away. So who knows? You know, stay tuned for the Blue Jays 2022 man.
0: I was going to say that I think one of the one of the things at the lockout that that really kind of that frankly deflated a lot of us is the fact that it was such a great off season for you guys. And, and it wasn't even done and we don't think it's done. And when this thing gets going again, and it will get going at some point, the, the off season will continue. But I mean, you you know, Jose Barrios assigned to a long-term contract. That's great. That's positive. And then the team goes out to get Kevin Gossman. And I think, I think it was, I was reading an interview. I heard you in a podcast or, or an interview talking about how you're looking forward to playing catch with Kevin Gossman because you just want to see you you want to see that splitty work. Can you kind of explain that? And I found it interesting because we had Alex Manoa on a couple of weeks ago. One of the thing Alec, one of the things Alex Manoa said is, you know, I, not only do I not just want to play catch with these, I want to pick this guy's brain. I want to see if I can do something, yeah. take something from his changeup, and or and and, and incorporate it with mine. Now, how much are you looking forward to seeing this guy and having him as a teammate and being able to you know to to, to just to see what he does?
2: Yeah. You know, it's always fun getting new teammates, especially ones that have had success that he has had. And and he spent a lot of time in the AL East and then he goes over to the Giants and has two amazing years. And talking about the splitter, you know, I think that interview that I said, like I've caught Clayton Kershaw's slider, I've caught Rich Hill's curveball and I'm going to get to catch Kevin Gosman's splitter. I mean, I think if you go look at the numbers, it's, it's, I believe it's a top five pitch in baseball as far as average against and and OPS against. I mean, it's just, you know, guys just don't do anything with it against both righties and lefties. So, I mean, it's literally, uh, a, you know, have you heard of Bugs Bunny? It's So It's um, So, it's, you know, you can pick it up like Manoa you know, saying. That's unbelievable. I mean, it doesn't happen very often. I have to get Clay to teach me a sweater a million times, and I still can't do it, right? But, um, you know, a guy that's had success in the big leagues is, is always a huge asset. And so you just take his brain, man, what, you know, what do you do? How do you tackle these, What's your mindset? That kind of stuff. You're only going to get better when you sign back, things like that. So, obviously excited to, to get in the locker room, with Kevin, to compete and, uh, you know, be a teammate for hopefully a long time.
1: Yeah, you've been on talented teams with high expectations. The Blue Jays are that team. They're expected not just to play in the postseason, but to win championships. As a veteran guy, how, how do you help young guys handle high expectations?
2: Yeah, that's funny. Uh, So when I got traded over, I was all of a sudden a veteran guy. You know, I went from (laughs) following Clayton Kershaw around like a puppy for five years to all of a sudden being the guy that a lot of people came to ask questions about. And that's a product of, you know, having some years under my belt but also being in a really, really successful organization in the Dodgers and and seeing how it's done firsthand and how to, you know, how to win and how to expect to win and, uh, you know, how to go out and do it on the field. So. Uh, what you do, man, is you just um, – you show up every day and you expect to win that game. That's that's what the Dodgers did for a long time, and obviously they had the talent to do it. But the Blue Jays team is every bit as talented as any Dodgers team I was ever on. So there's no reason for us to show up, whether we're playing the Yankees, Red Sox, or the Orioles, right? We should show up expecting to win that game that day because that's how good our roster is. And there's a lot of teams that can't say that, right? And the Blue Jays are one of them. So I, I think it's, you know, trust that we're going to develop. We're going to get better. You guys are young. You just went through 162 for the first time, like I said. You now understand what that takes, how it takes a toll on your body, and, and now we learn from it and get better, um, you know, and, and try and lead. I'm definitely more of a lead-by-example guy. I know my our PA rep, so I I have to be vocal right now. But I'm definitely more like show up early, get my work in. You know, look at what I do. This is how I prepare. And if you got a question, I'll answer. But um, you know, that's that's kind of the leadership role that I take.
0: Last question for Ross Stripling before you let him run. Uh, a little bit of a different tack here, but there as we we talked today there are still some border restrictions when it comes to non-vaccinated players coming into canada and, and i think there's it might even be some dispute as to what actually constitutes being fully vaxxed of course you've the blue jays and then sort of the happy wanderers of major league baseball for the past couple of years you finally got to play at the rogers center last year um did was there any chatter or talk with the organization pre-lockout because there can be no communications now but was there any concern or talk about whether or not there might be some some border issues for this team once you get out of spring training and you're looking at playing games in Toronto? Did, did that ever come up in conversations with Mark or, or, uh, or, or, or Ross Atkins or anybody?
3: Well,
2: you know, the quick answer is no. But that was, man, like almost two months ago now, right? So the Omicron variant and, you know, a lot of things have happened since then uh, to where now – you know, among players that doubt has crept back into our mind, you know, and I believe are the Raptors playing in front of no fans. Is that true? Or yes. the NHL yeah. just playing Canadian teams? You know, so I think there's been some, some, you know, retraction as far as some of the stuff that's gone on in other sports, which, you know, is, is discouraging for us. Obviously we got to get back to the Rogers center. That's where we want to play, open that roof up. We don't care if it's 35 degrees. We want to play in Toronto. Um, but no, you know, the quick answer is that, that that was not a thing before the lockout. And then now all of a sudden it is again, which, which is a shame. I really want to come to Toronto. Um, but we're used to being nomadic. And if we've got to start somewhere else, uh, we'll make that work. But we want to play 162 in Toronto, no doubt.
0: Ross, listen. Really good of you to give us some time today. Uh, stay safe, be well. Let's hope we get the CBA wrestled to the ground, and that we're all together at some point in Dunedin. Thanks so much, my friend. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks a lot.
2: Yeah, y'all take care. Yeah, have a good one, take guys.
0: Care. All righty. That is Ross Stripling, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, the Blue Jays player rep, and uh, that was a great, great, great question, Kevin. Great comment on watching, watching the the uh, negotiations via Zoom. Because something a lot of people don't know is Technically, any major league baseball player can sit in on any of these negotiations if you want yeah it's it, it's an open door if, if 300 want to go down, yeah. okay admittedly you need to give, give advance warning. but any player, even in real in in regular time where they're not being done by zoom, any player can attend any of these meetings you 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 don't just have to be a player rep if you're interested, you can go and and um, I think a lot of players. Again, it depends on where these talks are held. These are held in New York, but sometimes when they're in California, you'll have a lot of guys go and just sit in and sit in and see what it's like.
1: Yeah, I would think the player rep knows a little bit more than than the typical player that's just tuning in to see what's going on and seeing if they need to show up on time and and when they need to get their family going toward the 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 team that they're going to actually play with. I I just is it is it more fist pumping? Is it on the edge of your seat? You know, are you are you sweating? Because it's a big deal. Like you know, these these are the player reps are, are mainly the the veteran guys, the guys have been around for quite some time that understand the game and and are affected a little bit by this so it's it's just a I don't know it's an interesting thing for me to, to wonder how it's you know do you, do you actually have a game plan where it's written down and you can hear the guy actually saying it out loud and you're going yeah you nailed that and to actually hear his interaction and, and actually hear him you know talk about the way it's going it's it's interesting but I, I just I, I think there needs to be some, some hurry up to it it just doesn't seem like they're in a
0: hurry That's for whatever normal. reason This, this is all, this is like every other, every other CBA I've seen, except we have social media now that, that, you know, uh, players and owners only met for two hours today and it's all over Twitter. Well, yeah, that two hour meeting is actually pretty long for a lot of these things. The idea that everybody sits in a room for 14 hours and gets a deal done. That's not how the way it works out, at, at least in the, in the early parts. But Ross is right. The fact that they're still talking, the fact that they haven't shut it down, Yeah, we could sit here and say they're not; it's not going fast enough, and they're not making progress in this issue or that issue. But at least they're still, at least they're still talking. As we sit here right now, I'm really skeptical about whether or not we'll see spring training start on time. Uh, But my whole thought process throughout this is it's about not losing regular season games. However, whatever happens, whenever it happens, however it happens, you cannot lose regular season games. And I think both sides. I think both sides are probably, are probably smart enough to understand that. Uh, Tom Brady has, of course, retired from the NFL as the greatest quarterback of all time. How good could he have been as a baseball player? And did the Montreal Expos really, I mean really, ever have a chance of signing home? Well, as we said, Kevin Malone says it was a flyer at best. But that still didn't stop the Expos from drafting Tom Brady. Kevin Malone joins us next. This is Blair and Barker, wherever you get your favorite podcast, Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. all right we're back with Blair and Barker the podcast shout out by the way to Jeff Francis who is the 2022 inductee to Canada's Baseball Hall of Fame in St. Mary's and uh, congratulations Jeff I know that you uh listen to this pod and listen to the show and uh trust me we will get you on one of our upcoming pods again congratulations to Jeff Francis a uh not only a guy who had a good major league career, a good career, but still keeps giving back to baseball in Canada and to Canada baseball. Uh, so again, congratulations to Jeff Francis. Uh, I spent a lot of time with our next guest, and we talked about a lot of things. Some of it pretty heavy. Some of it your run-of-the-mill baseball stuff, but I- I'm putting my hand here. I'm putting up my hand here and saying this is the God's honest truth. I'm pretty certain I didn't spend a lot of time asking him about his 18th-round draft pick in the 95 draft. (laughs) I mean, I I was a good reporter, but I'm reasonably certain that at no point did I ask a question about the 18th-round pick in the 95 draft. Well, man, if we only knew then what we know now about Tom Brady. Kevin Malone was GM of the Expos in 95, and you have to look far and wide to find someone who has dealt with as many strange situations and odd occurrences in his baseball career, which is why he's always been one of my favorites. Kevin Malone joins Jeff Blair Cheers. and Kevin Barker. Kevin, great to chat with you again. I, I, I trust that you're doing well. Tell me how, because I keep hearing all these stories, how close did Tom Brady come to putting pen to paper and signing with the Expos? And and, and maybe give us a little bit of a history lesson on, on how he came onto your radar.
3: Okay, hey, Kevin. Uh, Jeff, it's always uh, great to catch up with you. You were one of my favorites. You actually... Uh, one of few sports writers that actually wrote the truth and and, uh, was a man of integrity. So there's not a whole lot of you out there. So uh, you're one of a handful of guys that uh, uh, represented the the game and and did a great job. And I I say that in all honesty. So thank you for being fair with me all through my career. But Tom Brady, wow, future Hall of Famer in baseball, but he decided – he wanted to throw that oblong weird shaped ball but uh you know <laughs> we uh we were on him uh because of his probably because originally because of his football uh abilities on the field at Sarah High School and our scout there uh said that this guy was uh, a late bloomer in baseball i guess he he got better and better every year from his freshman sophomore year to his senior year he really had a very good high school baseball career. But uh, we brought him into Candlestick Park when I was GM of the Expos. We worked him out, and uh, everyone liked what they saw. I was impressed. Here was a, you know, uh, he wasn't very uh, strong at the time, but you could see that he had a a good frame and that he would develop and and grow into it. But here's a left-handed hitting catcher with power. Maybe not as much power as Kevin uh, but uh, you no, he had way more power than you, Kevin. I'm sorry, <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> but had a lot of natural, natural power, uh, arm strength, obviously, very cerebral, very quiet, uh, somewhat introverted at that time. Uh, but uh, well, you could tell he was smart, and uh, you know, he showed us what we needed to see a, 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 a left handed hitting catcher with power, with arm strength that we thought could handle a pitching staff because of his intelligence and uh, just a good guy. You got, you got a good feel from him. Again, he was kind of quiet. So we, we drafted him, as you mentioned, Jeff, in the 18th round, we offered him, I believe it was around a half a million dollars, but we knew it was a long shot because we knew he was a football guy. And as you guys know, if somebody has got that football uh, in their blood, uh, they're hard to it's hard to get out of it and hard to talk out of it. so we knew it was a long shot, but we we tried our best. Uh, they were up front the whole way saying that you know he wanted to play football, he was going to Michigan, and uh, I think he made a really good decision. He's got seven big rings on his fingers, <laughs> and uh, you know the goat, maybe the greatest quarterback uh, of all time, but uh, we missed a chance to have i believe an all star catcher, but we did our best. And it just didn't work out.
1: Okay, Kevin, you, you got to put your GM hat back on for me. You got to explain something to me. I, I got drafted in the third round, and I was telling Jeff this when the show started, when he was reading off what what round Tom Brady was going to go in, and and how much you guys offered him. And I just heard you say half a million dollars in the 18th round. I got to ask, how was he going to make that much money in the
0: 18th round? Well, Parker, what did you get before you answer, Kevin? Well, what, what did you get, Bark? Not not a half a
1: million
3: dollars. Okay. Right. okay. Well, I signed and got five hundred dollars. So top that, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you got me. I, yeah. Well, and I was in the 30, I was in the thirty-fifth round. I was a college senior, and uh, I was a fill-in player that they needed somebody to throw uh, to throw the ball with and play catch with with the prospects. So I was one of those kind of guys. But you know, he got that money, uh, Kevin, because he was we believe he had that potential. And if he would have dedicated to baseball, he might've been a first or second rounder Uh, because, but he never really, I mean, he loved baseball. He played baseball and he was good at it, but it was because of, uh, of the projection. He had a long way to go, but we believed that we were willing to take the chance in the Expos with Gary Hughes before me. uh, Then I became a scouting director and then, you know, worked my way up and was blessed to be the GM of the Expos. But, The Expos always had uh, a great uh, ability to draft players uh, in lower rounds and they get to the big leagues and be productive players, and we, uh, we believed he was one of those guys.
1: Was was one part of his game stronger than the other? Like when I was drafted, it was I was a hitter first. I was athletic because I hadn't grown into my body yet. But they could tell I had power. Ball jumped off my bat. Was there one thing when you were standing behind him watching him that you went, yeah, that's a little bit more advanced than the other part of his game?
3: Well, I think left-handed power catcher. You know, when you yeah. left-handed hitting power catcher. So when you put all of the pieces together, it painted a pretty good projectable puzzle that this guy – along with the makeup because we knew he was a competitor now you know and I think he's proven that after his, all his years with the Patriots and then last year with the bucks and even this year but uh, you know he just when we put it all together uh, together Kevin we, we thought a catcher which are they're hard to find a good one uh, mm-hmm. that had was a left-handed hitter with with legit plus plus power so and we had arm strength we, we could see that. And then he, we knew he was smart and had, you know, was uh, uh, a guy that could, we believe, could uh, uh, handle a pitching staff. So, it, 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 you know, that, that, that's the hard part about scouting. You know, a lot of people. I took my wife to see A. Rod play and to see, uh, you know, some of those guys, and she could pick the best player on the field. I mean, she she knew who A. Rod. But when you can go and see guys that that no one else can see or, or very few people see. He's that's that's what scouting is all about is is kind of finding that uh, that player that that just doesn't jump at you like an A. Rod or, or Ken Griffey Jr. Some of those guys that I was fortunate to scout, but he had everything that we thought uh, made him and projected him to be a an all star at the major league baseball le- level.
0: Did you ever get a chance to to talk to him later in his career? And if you didn't, did, did you ever just want to call the team or? call Bill Belichick or somebody say, just, just want to pass on, make sure Tom knows that I think he made the right decision?
3: Ha, good question. Uh, I've thought about it, but uh, and I definitely want to talk to him now. I figure all the interviews I've done, uh, including this one, around Super Bowls and uh, all the thing Pro Bowls, when he was p- participating in different things, all the time I've spent on talking about Tom Brady like I'm doing right now, I think warrants some sort of uh, uh, compensation, Jeff. I don't know uh, <laughs> I if, I, if, I I, if I get it, but no. Uh, I'd like to. I'd like to just to, to 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 talk with him about that 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 day in Candlestick Park and the workout. And does he how often does he ever think about it? And did he ever think at some point in his career maybe at Michigan? Uh, before he was, while he was riding the pine and sitting on the bench as a backup quarterback that, hey, maybe I should have signed. I'd, yeah, I'd like to just go back in time and and kind of relive that workout and then, you know, through his career and, and ask him questions like how did baseball, you know, maybe impact some of the things you did along the way. So, as you guys know, what's exciting for me is as I watch NFL is you got like Russell Wilson, you got Mahomes, you got uh, all these guys all these quarterbacks Elway going going back all these quarterbacks love baseball were very good Tyler Murray right Tyler Murray there you go you can keep going and i don't know if you guys uh, are a fan of his but on friday last friday night uh here in las vegas i had uh, i had some time with uh Derek Carr and Derek and mm-hmm. i were talking and i said oh i don't think this conversation is going to go very well Derek and he, i said cuz i'm pretty sure you're a giants fan that you grew up in Fresno, he said. No, I'm a big Dodger fan, and one of my dreams is to take batting practice in Dodger Stadium one day. So, I said, "Hey, I'll see what I can do." But, uh, but he said he loved baseball, and, and and he was, you know, his brother played baseball. They they quarter, dated yes. that quarterback for the Texans. So, a lot of good quarterbacks, I, I'm gonna, you know, were, we were, were baseball players and very good at it. So, there's something to it. There's definitely something to it.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I think I, re- I read an interview with, with Tom a couple of years ago. It was, it was around the Super Bowl, as a matter of fact. And somebody asked him about it, and he said, you know, I think if you talk to people, there are people who tell you that my scouting report as a baseball player when I was 17, 18, 19 might have been better than my scouting report as a quarterback. Yeah. And I think he's being he honest.
3: Was. He was. But, you know, I mean, that's a good point. As a scout, when I looked at him, I mean, he had the heist, and he was kind of not very muscular kind of, kind of soft body uh if you know what i mean kind of just mm-hmm. a little soft and but you could just see the 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 potential and you knew the guy had great work ethic and you had to do a lot of projecting on how athletic was this guy really i mean he was athletic but you guys know uh that there's various levels of athleticism and there's different body types but this guy had for a catcher you know I mean, he had good footwork and stuff, but, I mean, he wasn't fast, obviously. Mm-hmm. That wasn't going to be something. But as a catcher, that wasn't going to factor in. But, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. To, again, every Super Bowl, usually the last, what, 10 years, 15 years, I'm always talking about him and, and thinking about him. And uh, it's, fun to, it's fun to kind of dream about what might have been.
0: Moving away from Tom just for a second, Kevin, uh, as as GM of the Expos in 95, you also, of course, you had to deal with replacement spring training. You were forced by Mm -hmm. ownership to tear down a – I mean, we Mm -hmm. talk about the 94 Expos and a tear falls out of my eye. But, yeah, you had to do that, spring training 95. And I'm just wondering, as a baseball guy, how hard was it to, in a manner of a couple of days, have to get rid of and I use get rid of I don't I don't mean that as a slight against you again you're operating under demands of ownership but mm-hmm. John Wetland, Ken Hill, Larry Walker, Marquise Grissom in a span of a couple of days and as and and as you see what's going on in our game right now are you at all concerned that maybe maybe some of those lessons are being lost right now as this as this stoppage goes on?
3: Yes I am Jeff I think about those were four all stars and you know some of them are possibly Hall of famers uh, I mean well Larry is a Hall of famer now, so three of the, you know all four great players four in I mean very influential very impactful players so uh that was uh, you know when I think about it uh, for longer than thirty seconds, I start to get sick to my stomach and say what what could have been really could have been a not only a one year championship team but a it could have had been in position to win multiple uh, world series but it it wasn't meant to be but uh i guess the ownership because of financial reasons they say financial reasons we weren't able to keep that team together but i look at it now uh jeff kevin and i think while wow, the game has changed so much uh since then uh but it seems like you know, culture's changed. We live in a woke society, a culture-canceled culture society, and, and it's all everything's political now. I mean, you can't do anything without people kind of looking through a political lens. So I, I'm concerned a little bit about the game. The game itself is amazing. It's great. It's the best. Uh, but, but people making decisions on both sides, I'm not so sure that they're doing it for the love of the game. It's just big business now. I mean, there's great people in the game. Uh, I still have friendships with people in the game, as I'm sure you guys do too. But I just think it's so political, and it's so it's so much about. There's an en- as you guys, there's enough money the, the, in in this thing. The, the 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 pie is big enough for both sides to get plenty. You know, I really believe that. I believe, you know, somebody else could find a deal if they brought in a true arbit- arbitrator, someone that could really put it together, but you've got two sides. It's political, and they both have to win, and they both want it to be so far uh, favoring them. So I'm concerned. Yeah, Jeff, I'm concerned. And, you know, the one thing you guys know, too, and I think I loved it, and most fans love it, even non-baseball fans love spring training. How can you jeopardize spring training, you know, because that's all about the fans, the access to players, the it's a special time of the year as you get ready for the regular season. And they don't seem to care that they're just, that spring training is in jeopardy right now, but that's the, that's one of the greatest things fans can do. And, and even as a general manager, I look forward to spring training because, you know, our team was undefeated uh, until the end of spring training. So that's, that's kind of nice. So I am worried. I don't know if I answered your question, Jeff, but I'm definitely concerned. And I just don't know. You know both sides seem to have their different agendas and it is and then the fans aren't part of it to be honest with you and i you know I know Manfred and I know uh uh tony uh but I don't know tony clark i just I just don't feel good about the situation uh miss Spree- t- tell me kevin what tell tell me I'm wrong, and it's everything's going to be okay
1: uh i hope so yeah i'm I'm with you i I think it 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 needs to get uh, done sooner than later i think when you hear that they're having non uh economic issue talks hey look that'll make you scratch your head a little bit but other than that i want to ask you who who you thought uh when if they have missed spring training games who it would hurt more pitchers or hitters
3: Mm. Uh, that's a really really good question I, i mean i think there's there's two sides to that coin. I think that, I think that, you know, to me, pitchers are always a little bit ahead. Uh, I, I, I think hitters were, were always, I mean, yeah, you hit the cages and you can hit some live BP and stuff uh, coming into spring training or during spring training. And, and, and I guess you could say the same about pitchers, but to me, to me, it's the hitters need more time. I think they're, they're, more challenged to catch up so to speak uh and again it's not that they're not taking batting practice they're not doing the things they need to do studying film but that competition level and you can speak to that better than i could kevin i mean i was a a ball player and i couldn't hit uh at all i could feel pretty good i could at that time you know about 40 pounds ago i could run better uh, a lot better and and uh and I could do some things, but I never could really hit. So it didn't matter if I, if I showed up last day of spring training or middle of the season. <laughs> I, was, I was a solid 250 hitter no matter what. But what about you? Well, how would you answer your own, your own question?
1: Yeah, I think. You know, look, I, I think it's to each his own. For, for me, when I was a hitter, the younger I was, the more games I needed in spring training. The older mm-hmm. I was, the wiser I thought I was, the more I knew myself, my mechanics, how many swings I needed to take just to get my timing down, what I could and couldn't hit. And, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the I could do it less, so to speak.
3: Yeah. Hey,
0: yeah. Kevin, uh, before we let you run, I did want to ask you about, yourself um, and your current role. You're now CEO, Chairman of the Board for the United States Institute Against Human Trafficking, a uh, mm-hmm. obviously a serious issue and a role that I know uh, mm-hmm. you take very seriously. Just tell us a, a little bit, if you could, and I, I wish we had more time, but just tell us a little bit about your journey from Expos, Dodgers, you know, and Orioles General Manager and Executive mm-hmm. to, to your current role.
3: Well, after I got out of baseball uh, from the Dodgers, uh, I was involved in different uh, types of ministry and and did a lot of uh, mission trips overseas. And and then, you know, uh, the pastor of my church, Francis Chan at Cornerstone, uh, basically, God laid on our hearts that we needed to do something about child sex trafficking. So we went to Thailand. We met four to five six-year-old boys and girls that had been as sold as sex slaves. It broke my heart, came back to America. That was 2009, started researching it. Uh, at the time, I was part owner of a Mercedes-Benz dealership, so I was able to to do some things uh, because of time and resources. And I really started studying it, Jeff, and what was going on in America with kids being sold as sex slaves, being sex trafficked. And I found it was a big problem, but nobody was really talking about it. So the next thing I did was, you know, I started getting involved and in doing different things in Los Angeles, because that's where I was living. I now live in Las Vegas, and I I moved to Las Vegas to fight child sex trafficking in, in, in Las Vegas on the Strip and Clark County. But uh, but as I got involved in it, I started to see how bad the problem was. And, uh, and then in 2014, I dedicated uh, uh, and committed to going full-time. So I raised money, and I started doing different things to try to protect kids, change, help change laws, help uh, with rescue teams. I opened the Only Boys Safe Home for Traffic Boys. In America, and that's in in Florida, we have boys ten to seventeen that were so as sex slaves. So it's dark. I don't want to bring your audience down, but it's a big problem in America. I'm sure it's a big problem in Canada.
0: Kevin, thanks, man. It's good to touch base again. Be well. Miss you. Take thanks, care. Kevin.
3: Take care. Thank you. You too, Jeff. Thanks, Kevin. You guys take care. God bless. Bye bye. Take Thank care. You.
0: That is Kevin Malone. Former general manager of the Montreal Expos, Dodgers, and Orioles. Uh, you know what time it is? I think we can squeeze in a couple of these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, Let's get a couple Barkers, of Barker's
2: back, back, back leg bits.
0: We said Barker's bits not baker my goodness barker just airmailed that thing it's time for barker's back leg bits yeah so this is the time in the podcast where we let you our listeners take a stroll into the to the the recesses of kevin barker's mind come to think of it that sounds a little different the way i wanted it to but i mean you get the point every week you can dm me with questions for kevin about baseball or anything barker related my twitter handle always, is always as snJeffPlayer. player dms are always open let's get right to it speaking of twitter kevin twitter is a sewer otherwise no as ryan and victoria had a couple of questions for you do owners mean anything to players like, are there actually good owners, or is it all down to the paycheck? Did you ever care about an owner you played for? And that can be minor or major leagues.
1: Great question. At the minor league level, you rarely, Jeff, have any dealings with owners. You might be lucky to shake their hand, but but that's about it. There, there really isn't a relationship. You could probably name them, but you never got to meet them. At the big league level, I have to say all the owners I have met in person, the only one I met was Ted Rogers back in 2006. He came in the clubhouse last day of the season, Jeff, and thanked us for our efforts and playing hard. For me, that was really I really appreciated that for him to come in and say those kind of things. That was kind of nice.
0: Scott was from my old neck of the woods, which is Winnipeg. Shout out to Winnipeg. Wants to know, I believe you said you played high school football. Did you at any point seriously consider football over baseball? That's no. from Scott.
1: Well, n- not really. I-, I was a starting quarterback and, and cornerback at Virginia High. but you didn't a know cornerback? that, cornerback? Absolutely. I I was Are you a two-way dude? Both sides of the ball. No. I was stopping it, baby. Oh, I was stopping on, it, man. For sure. I, I was small at 5'10". 160 pounds, that was probably soaking wet. Uh, because of my size, I didn't seriously give it any thought. Uh, sophomore year in college, I grew to 6'1", uh, put on about 40 pounds. That's around 200 pounds. I weighed at 6'1". Uh, once I hit my gross professional baseball was the goal. I was pretty good left-handed pitcher. Uh, but once my coach, Chuck Hartman, saw me at the plate, saw me going back leg city, he said, enough <laughs> of that. You're not going to pitch anymore. You're going to play center, and you're going to hit. So the answer to his question no I didn't give it any much thought
0: so you never thought about it you never thought about putting the pads on again and going back when,
1: when you're 510 160
0: pounds you don't yeah, think I about getting not. hit Jeff okay I guess not well, no yeah no that that makes that makes a certain amount of sense uh well that's it for this week Kevin that was uh that was a lot of fun and uh Kevin Malone joining us ross Drippling as well and uh I'll tell you one thing about Kevin Malone man he always 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 wore his emotions in his sleeve and uh we said we had some pretty interesting discussions over time but it was great to touch base with him about tom brady and get some of the details on that uh, on that particular story i think and i'm pretty certain i was at because i made so many road trips at that team i gotta think i was there in 95 yeah there's first there's no way in hell i would have missed a trip to san francisco just not happening
1: uh, I, I'm still ticked off that he got offered
0: 500 grand. Yeah, that did stick with you. It did a little, yeah. But it's true, you know. It, it, you can do any reading on it. It, it, it. What Tom Brady said is true. He was more people thought highly of him as a baseball player at 17, 18, 19. Of course, he's going to Michigan. He's going to be the quarterback. But again, he wasn't a star, right? Yeah. He wasn't going to. He, he, he wasn't. He didn't walk into Michigan as a star. A lot of people thought, yeah, at the time. You know, five hundred grand, that's a lot of money to turn down.
1: Yeah, I think Kevin said it right. Right, he was smart he guy, okay. he had a good he had a good arm and he was left handed hitter.
0: Those are hard to find okay. behind the plate. Yeah, I think he's, he's, the, did okay. he's the goat, baby. He, he is there's the only goat. one goat. Absolutely. Mr. Barker, as always, thank you for doing this. That's it for this week. As always, thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week. Good night from Toronto.